Welcome to the Rock of Bay County, Florida, where our vision is to be a multi-generational gathering, moving as one body to bring the glory of Yahweh to this beautiful county and to all the earth. We hope you are encouraged and blessed as you listen to this message. I, uh, this is just something that got on my heart whenever Henry and Caroline were sharing about their stuff. I've, I've never been more convinced of, of the process of setting the Lord before me. And there's just these little key things I feel like Holy Spirit has said to me today about the process, which you even talked about my cancer's in remission. That's not the divine healing I'm looking for, but actually I believe that it is the divine healing, that there is a process that we step into. Now there are moments, and I'm not saying taking away from the miraculous working crazy, awesome power of Yahweh when you step into a situation, an atmosphere, and I believe it's where we're coming to, but we can't be expecting to step into an atmosphere if we're not also willing to step through a process. And so, so I believe what right now Yahweh is doing is, is, is he's, he's taking this tribe, this family through a process that's leading us to a place that's going to be truly a homestead, a place that a place that creates an atmosphere. People walk in and receive that sozo miraculous healing in an instant. But it's going to take people willing to walk through the process to step into that kind of anointing and that kind of grace. And I believe that Yahweh has shown me like where, where we're at right now. Because I mean, I can you can already see me. I'm terrible at hiding frustration. And when something doesn't work with the sound, I'm just acting like a little kid up here and I apologize for that. I just get so frustrated because these guys, I feel for them because they're trying everything they know to do and we're in a gymnasium with just drywall and 10 ceilings and they can only do so much. So Mark, give them a break. I'm speaking to myself today, all right? But there's always within each step of the process a teaching that needs to take place that we have to open our heart to. And I think about when this family, when this tribe was, was put in a place where we went through this crazy transition, here I am, and you know, we, we, uh, Apostle Ball is no longer with us in, in the sense that we've known him to be, and it's just this whole weird, we don't know what to do, but we just know to stay faithful and to just come and to see what happens. And it was very, uh, there was moments in that time, but there was just, a, there was really only an opportunity for us to say yes. That was it. Every single day that I woke up and I had to come to speak and did not know what to do and what to say, I just had to say, Yahweh, if I'll open my mouth and you fill it. That's what you say, so I'm just going to say yes. That's all I can do is say yes. I'll step up here. If I need to get right back down, uh, that's fine. I just, I, I, I'm just going to come with a heart of saying yes. Even when I don't want to, I'm going to say yes. And there was this opportunity. And then we had this hurricane come and hit us, and we're standing in the midst of that the, the results of that right now. But what happened is, is it, it, was, it was the ripping and the tearing or the scraping of the lens that took place where everything was ripped away that we knew. And Yahweh says, I refuse to allow you to even just take that lens and cover it back up, fix what's within, and then still look through the same lens. It's impossible. doesn't work that way. So he scrapes everything off. And first we receive the grace to stand outside the building. I was looking at pictures. I was showing Jonathan and Tamara this picture that I have sitting out right out here is probably the twelfth hall of just junk out of this place. And I found they're in the middle of the of all the junk. Ben and I were about to leave for the day. And in the middle of all, I mean, I'm talking about a mountain of junk, and genuinely had moved 
12 piles of that to the road and now here's a new mountain of junk. And in the middle of it was like a rolling office chair just sitting there. And I was like, you know, Ben, one day I'm gonna look back on this and laugh. I'm gonna crawl up there and get in it. And even looking at it now, it's, it's crazy to think about what we had grace to deal with. You understand if he's he, faithful as he who calls you, who also will do it. He'll see it through. That means that if you're in a situation, there's grace to be in that situation. And as soon as the grace is no longer in that situation, guess where you should not be? Within that situation. Because when grace leaves, you chase after it. Run away from the, gra- run away from the lack of grace. I see, uh, I see Ms. Grindstaff back there who's like, was my second mother growing up. And since she's here, I'm going to take the opportunity to tell the story I've told you about a hundred thousand times, but it's one of the stories that you're involved with that changed the, the trajectory of our lives. And it was when we were trying to find a home in Nashville and we were trying to convince ourselves that, you know, Holy Spirit led us here and this is what we're supposed to be doing. So obviously there's grace here. We're going to be able to handle it, though I am absolutely miserable. And so, uh, so we went to her. She was a, a realtor and she was, we were talking about buying a house and just kind of going ahead and locking ourselves in. Because if we lock ourselves in here, maybe everything will get better and we'll pretend and it'll be great. And we go to her and she starts talking, you know, we think we're going to sit down and talk about housing and the opportunity of how we get a loan and all that kind of stuff. We had no idea. And we end up talking about grace. She, she starts off with her realtor, you know, just going through all the different things and she stops and she's like, how are you guys doing? And if you know anything about her, she, she, you're going to open up. And she's going to draw that out of you. And the simple like, well, how are you guys doing? To other people, we do the typical Christian, we're good. Every, everything. We're great. Fantastic. How, how are you? Tell us about what you're going through because I'd rather just keep my junk behind me. Let's see what you got. But she, there's people that you talk to that have that grace that draws it completely out of you. And we just, ugh, before we even knew what happened. And she started to talk to us about grace. And she said, listen, the, most, the worst place to be is out of the covering of grace. And that means if there is grace present in a situation, even if you don't feel it and you don't feel like, it doesn't seem like things are working out right, but you know Holy Spirit has put you in a place and he has not released you from it, it does not, you do not take that step away. However, there will be a day and it will be obvious where grace leaves that situation and you no longer should stay in that situation. And that was about all we got as far as our housing talk. We did not, we decided we weren't in a place really to even talk about buying a house. We just needed to search for, do we have grace? Is Holy Spirit present? And we both answered the same question. I'm absolutely miserable. I hate my job. I hate where we are. And, but there's grace here. And I cannot leave until grace has left this situation. I don't know what I'm called to do here, but I just know I'm supposed to be here. So I'm going to stay. Fast forward to us walking things out. Got, it got way worse, but we walked it out and we were faithful to walk it out. We get to a place where I'm sitting in my desk and I've been praying, Yahweh, tell, please, please, how is this really going to be that obvious that grace has left my situation? How do I discern that? What do I, what do I do? And he decided to teach me a lesson about grace. And I'm sitting there at my desk thinking about this. 
feeling like I'm coming to this point in time where I'm just at a crossroads and I don't know what to do, but I don't know that grace has left. And all of a sudden I hear this, this hand slam a desk and I see this woman get up out of her office. She walks out of the office, slams the door and just bails. This is a manager who had been there for over 10 years and her name was Grace. You can't make that up. He's got you in his wraparound presence. And you got to trust that you are people of discernment and not to discern everything that's wrong or whatever, but that just to discern grace at some times. That needs to be enough. Is, has he graced me here? Then I'm here, period. And so in that time, we had a grace to say yes in the midst of confusion. Then we had everything ripped away from us. We're sitting out here. We had a grace, and in that time, he was teaching us about what? One thing have I desired of the Lord, bringing it back to the simplicity. That was so powerful, Jonathan was singing this morning. Take us back. Not, you know what the garden is? Communion. It's face to face. It's not la la neverland that I don't know what I'm doing because I fell out of love of just being okay with the first love in the, in the garden, walking in the cool of the day type of presence. So I needed to go off in revelation world and you can tell me every single revelation, but you can't tell me about the goodness of Yahweh from last week. You're, you're off kilter here. Think something's off balance. Revelation is good, but not, not from any other lens than the goodness of Yahweh. And so we had a grace to, to be right out here. Then we had a grace to be right over there. And some of the coolest pictures, I think I have them on my uh, text message thread with Henry, is all of us sitting out there just, I mean, bundled up like this. I, and it's raining. People wait in their car until they'd hear Ben start singing. They're like, oh gosh, okay, now we're ready. And we're freezing and we're huddled up and we're like this. But what's he doing? He's, he's given us a grace to handle it and to show us what's imp- why it's important to gather with a tribe, no matter if it's convenient and it feels good or if it, or, or if it doesn't. And there's times where you're going to be, there will be a day where this is always, Eva always, always says to me about different situations that we walk through or that the tribe walks through. She always says the statement of, you know, this too shall pass. In the time that it's passing, let's make sure that we're getting everything that we need in this moment. This is an opportunity to show our strength. So we sit out here and we bun- we're, 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 we're all bundled up and we're, you know, just trying to avoid stepping on nails thinking like, what are we doing? But there is, there's this just amazing presence and we're out there seeing, oh, come let us adore him. It's like being in the midst of everything we're in right now and singing, he keeps on getting better, keeps on getting better. Cause the world's not singing that. They're like, come on 2021, come on 2021. But he keeps getting better. And we who have the right lens of the goodness of Yahweh can see that clearly, very clearly. And we can sing, he keeps on getting better. And out there, we can sing, oh, come let us adore him. Instead of going, oh, God, what did we do wrong? Your judgment has fallen upon us. Now tell us what we should do. But I'm telling you, that's a lot of the mentality 
people are always looking at this judgment. He gives and he takes away. Job, if you look through the lens of Job, that's not a good statement. But if you look for, through the eyes of a kingdom son, then he gives, right? But if he's good when he takes away, he's not taking away just because he's, he's fickle and back and forth and you make him mad really easy. He's saying, all my judgment is against anything that does not benefit you. So it might be, it might look like I'm taking some things away, like the building and the cushy life you had. I might be ripping some of that away, but it's just because I want to get you far enough from the shore that you can learn to trust me as Abba. And so there's a grace and there's a teaching within that grace. And so we, we have a, a, a rock out there, our memorial stone out there. It's the first place that, which it's now, it's, it's pride rock. My, uh, my, my son, Leo, believes that that's pride rock from the Lion King. So that's what it is, okay? We got pride rock out there. But, but what that rock initially was, when they put it down, they actually flipped it around the other way because then it looked more like a rock. And Apostle Ball said, no, I want that thing flipped back over, which you know everybody was like, great. <laughs> but they're going to do it by God. There's no question. We would all be out there flipping that rock over if Apostle Ball told us to. There's no question. But this rock gets flipped back over. And the reason was because he said, I want to be able to sit down on that rock with people. The first person that sat down on that rock with Apostle F. Nolan Ball was my grandfather, Al Cobb, who I talked about today. And he sat with him for the first time out there to share with him about his diagnosis. And Apostle spoke hope into his life and hope into his family's life. And he strengthened that backbone, which was already strong, but just the joining together, the binding together that happened. And we, as a people, from moments like that, were able to step forward into the future and have a moment where everything's ripped away and speak about hope. Because of the faithful decisions of people and generations before us. And so we have a grace there to learn about hope. And then guess what? We get a pole barn. And you would not believe. Now, the, the reaction wasn't quite the same when we went from the building back to the memorial stone touchstone. It was kind of like, are we seriously going back here right now? But it's a lesson, right? But we, but, so we had a pole barn. And the man who built the pole barn, he's not here today. And, and I don't know if his only decision or his only thing for us in this tribe, the whole, he was Holy Spirit just touched him in a moment. He was in Tampa building a pole barn for the biggest drug lord in the area at the time. And while he's up there going through all this crap, he, he gets a word that says, you have been building a, a pole barn for the enemy. I need you to go build a pole barn for the kingdom. And there was something in him that led him to work here. And he, he and his, his girlfriend at the time showed up right outside this, this uh, kitchen here, walked in, were saved and started to, heard, overheard me. I didn't know who he was. He didn't know who I was. He just heard me say pole barn. And he came up and he started to share this with me. He said, listen, before I came here, I was building a pole barn. He said, I can build that pole barn by myself. I was like, well, you sure we got all these pieces? Like, no, y'all got things. Let me build. I'm called to build a pole barn for the kingdom. Please let me do that. That dude sat out there, that construction out there, very, very, and I'd almost say no help from anybody else. I'm sorry if you assisted at all, but if anybody that was there, you might've just brought him a hammer and a nail, but that dude built that pole barn like it is by himself. 
And we received a grace to transition into a pole barn and act like we just got into the greatest, biggest church with all the lights and sound that had ever happened. And we felt redemption. And we felt like, you know what, this is the first piece of, of, of building or anything else new that has been placed on this ground. And we rejoice in the small beginnings. And then through the process, we were able to move into the ark. And what a great day of thanksgiving and awesome. We air conditioning or heat, whatever we needed, a bathroom. But we're, our hearts were just, thank you, Yahweh. Thank you for what you, that's always, if you, you look at the videos back from that service, that first service, we raised our hands and everybody just said, thank you. But, you know, it wasn't this thank you of just like we're in a building. It was this thank you for the tender heart. Thank you for the process. And there was, a, there was a grace and there was something he taught us in that moment about thanksgiving, about that was where we learned about the revelation of hope being a joy-filled expectation for good. He brought us in here in a, in a tent where Apostle Damon came and just rocked our worlds and put identifiers on us. And we had this crazy, awesome, amazing flow of the spirit that we're still drinking from that well today and will always drink from that well. And then something happened. We had to go back and touch the memorial stone and then we came back here and now we're in a building where it looks like a drug deal gone bad on the ground and it's, and, and it's, 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 it's echoey and it's weird and it's, it's whatever. But I'm gonna tell you right now, this place is going to be absolutely awesome. Mm. for most people you will think this place is absolutely awesome some of you might be like that's a no that's too much that's too much but I'm telling you there's going to be an expression a presence an atmosphere through men that Yahweh brought into my life I've got a man named Anthony who's actually you remember Bryn Waddell who sang so and shook this whole place it's his cousin and actually, here's the thing about Anthony, all you guys that, you know, got upset about the sound next door, you just understand the story behind the sound next door and the expression, very small expression, by the way, compared to what we're going to start to step into. But he, he came to me through Jordan Smith, and that's actually Bryn Waddell's cousin. He, his, their grandfather had this church in North Carolina, and uh, Anthony, I believe, was the oldest, and he, it was kind of his birthright to take on that church. However, Anthony believed that Bryn was called to that place where he was called is to help leaders take, when you have this you know, kid who all he can do is express graphic, he has these lights and different things in his head that you know, Yahweh is showing forth an expression because he is, has light within him, right? He has life that produces light, and these guys don't understand, but they're creative and they're artistic, and all they can do is make these amazing images and throw them on the, on the wall, but Yahweh put it in them. And he wants to help men and women express that in worship. And so he starts coming into pastors and, you know, I don't know if you know Elevation Worship that's in North Carolina. It's this huge, big, massive, crazy stuff. His company has done every bit of lighting, every bit of sound, and he is all about the excellence, not, not the show. He doesn't want to work with people that are about the show. He wants to work with people that are about the heart and the expression of excellence in a place. And so that's who we're working with in a place like this, place over there. And these are men, these are men and women that have, that have been brought into my life, into our lives 
to help take what's on the inside and express it. But there's no point in expressing it if we don't receive everything that we need to receive and take all the grace and the teaching that we need in that moment. And I believe what he's doing where I, I truly believe it, it's difficult to follow. It's difficult to, to follow a pioneer if you don't realize what you're called to. If I believe my call was to be a pioneer, I'd be slinging a sword, cutting down trees that were already cut down. I'd look like a lunatic. I'm not called to be a pioneer, but I am called to be a builder, to be an architect of the kingdom. In our generation, what happens is the pioneer comes through and he, and, he, and he makes a way, paves a way. It's hard, it's rough, it's difficult. People lose their lives, people get lost, it's difficult. But you need a man like Apostle F. Nolan Ball, who people still don't understand today and can you know, be upset with him and disagree with him, but you cannot disagree with the call of Yahweh on his life and his ability to say yes. Yes, I don't care, this is this, all this junk around me. You can say what you want to say about what I have to say. But at the end of the day, I'm not looking to appease you. I'm looking to change you. And he's a pioneer that paves a way so that a generation can, don't, don't, don't let anybody tell you that Apostle didn't finish well. Apostle finished well. You want to know why he finished well? Because I am standing here today on a foundation in freedom to be able to express what I'm called to do. You don't have to get Apostle Ball, but you need to understand his expression and what he was called to do was to be a pioneer. And you gotta have a man locked in and steadfast to be a pioneer. And he does that and he lays a foundation with the help of us, with the help of a lot of us that walked with him and said yes in that time and other men and women that came before him that that helped lay down this foundation, which is hard and difficult. But then he starts to call another generation to be the builders and the architects of building the kingdom. And so instead of my resources and our resources that come in here looking like, let's send everybody out, he starts to say, let's start to call people in. And you start to see Dustin's and Kimmy's and all these people that come in that, that, that have received the revelation to be called to this tribe. And we start to build a homestead. And why is it important that we build a homestead? Why is it important that we start to build on this foundation and not just be satisfied with a hard foundation? It's because one day there's going to be a generation in the Frank and Leos and those to come after them that are called the abiders. Those that live in the kingdom that actually have that expression of, I walk into an atmosphere. They're so convinced of the goodness of Yahweh. They don't know about the lens that, that we had to scrape off. They just know the goodness of Yahweh. They're so convinced and so have been living in this place of the kingdom so long that it's second nature to them to see someone who's been dealing with drug addiction, been dealing with addiction and pornography, has, has marriages destroyed, has, had their, uh, has disease inflict their lives, and they walk into, get me, a building. A building. It's not just about a building, but don't use that excuse. We're brought together as a tribe to build some things on the land that we've been given. So all of our resources 
And the decisions we make go for, I'm going to tell you, you want to know how I make decisions on this place? Other than submitting my life and my ear to these kinds of people who know about money and, and, and I trust them and I can go to them. But they're not looking to try to, uh, you know, get me to dot every I and cross every T and make sense of everything. Usually if I can go to them, they're, what's Holy Spirit saying to you? Trust that. He's got all the resources are his. The gold and the silver are his anyways. So you just need to be a good steward over the spirit he's given you. What's he, what's he saying to you? Oftentimes it's, oftentimes it's not going to make sense. So how do I make decisions on how we move forward in this building? I trust Holy Spirit has given me the call and the grace to make a decision first and fo- foremost. And then I think, does this line up with the vision of making this place a homestead of excellence, a place, a literal physical building, does making this decision better that call? You see, Apostle Paul had this, this three-step deal, right? Build a great church, build a pace, build a base to touch the world and to evangelize Bay County. When that stuff is laid down and then I step on the scene, if I don't know what I'm actually called to, I'll be looking for my three-step vision. When my vision is called, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek. That it's to create an environment, an atmosphere, a people that create a homestead that are willing to build and be in the process so that one day the next generation come and abide. It's simple. One thing. To find a people that are willing to wait and to sit and to be still in the presence of Yahweh and to be convinced of Abba. Man, it's so hard to to shift on some things. But I need to. This is important. The whole point of that is we've been given a grace to be here right now. And I think that the great thing about this people is that we're on tiptoe in expectation of what Yahweh is going to do in our midst and in this place. And it's not, it's not, uh, it's not, there's such significance to putting resources into and to building things into, and on this land and to fixing this stuff up and to showing forth the excellence of Yahweh here. This is, this is going to be an incredible, amazing place. And I'm looking forward to that, but I'm staying seated in the waiting and the grace that we have right now. It's thin grace, I'll be honest with you, but it is grace all the same. And we are going to move into, and I wanna buy up this time, get everything I'm supposed to get and to receive this. Because if our heart is not tender and soft and we're not convinced of his goodness in this time, you certainly won't be in the next time. That'll all be a fake fluffy whatever thing, you know? Announcements. We are, we are, I'm pushing the baptism back a week because it's going to be a low of 50 something degrees on Wednesday night. Yeah. <laughs> baptism by ice bath. Um, but I, I'm so, my, I also believe that there's a, there's a waiting thing. There's a reason. What we tried to go to the state park, it's destroyed. The state park is all eroded. There's beach erosion. That's where I envisioned us going back to that place and, and being baptized in the Gulf. And I, 
it's it's destroyed by Sally right now, and uh, and then and then even even the the beach we tried to go to at Rick Seltzer that's been destroyed. The only option maybe is like a pier park, golf, whatever. But I I, I believe that there that we're we're in the waiting. We're going to stop, and right now I'm going to push it back a week. And if I need to push it back a week again, we'll push it back a week, and we'll see what Yahweh says to us. Amen. And. It's not because it's going to be convenient. We might end up getting baptized in some cold water, and if you're too old we'll, you know, and you don't want to do it, then we'll, we'll do it. We'll find you a bathtub or something. But I, love, but, I, but I love the heart and the significance of this moment. And so oftentimes we look at things and it causes you to question. If you're not convinced of his goodness and convinced of what he's speaking to you, you'll see all the roadblocks as this bad thing. Instead of seeing the roadblocks of, I'm trying to show you something else. I'm trying to show you the perfect way. And if you'll just wait for a second and you'll just take a breath and not get frustrated, I'm going to show you how this is supposed to actually go down. So if that pushes us all the way to 2021, which I don't believe it is, I believe it's going to be in 2020, but I'm just going to trust and wait. So right now, as of right now, we will, we will be going, pushing this thing back till a week, uh, the next Wednesday. This Wednesday, we will not have the baptism, but I'm so incredibly encouraged and so excited about all of the texts, the calls, the face-to-face conversations of people saying, I believe I'm gonna, I, I need to get baptized. I don't know, I don't get it. I don't understand, but yes. Yeah, I'm just, yes. Yes. My little son, Frank, They've been learning about Yeshua being baptized and he just came up to me the other day and said, I want to be baptized. Josiah's asked to be baptized. And we're, I'm able to sit at night in, in bed and talk to him about what that actually means. And that's super moving and so powerful, you know. And on the, on the other end of the spectrum, you have my, my Mimi, Helen Cobb, who believes she's supposed to be baptized. I'm just wondering how we're, she, if she's going to have to really walk through that sand to get down to the gulf. But it's not about the, the inconvenience. You know, ultimately, are you called to be, this is what Jonathan said the other day. I was trying to make a decision on something and I was like, you know, I don't, I don't know what, what the water's gonna look like. And he said, you know, at the end of the day, man, are we called to be baptized or are we not? If, if we're looking for the convenient, you know, thing, then let's get a bath and fill it up in here and just do what everybody else does. But we're called to be baptized into living water. And in, in that case, we're just gonna do whatever it takes. So I, I love the heart. I love the expression of what's going to happen that time. Next Sunday, we have a cookout. We're not going to have service in this building. We're going to have a cookout as long as it weather's good. Um, it's going to be at 5 o'clock. We'll also have a pumpkin patch. It's going to be great. So all you ladies that are going to Walmart or wherever else to buy a pumpkin, just wait because we're going to have pumpkins. So, yeah. woohoo! Everybody's stoked. <clears throat> It'll be fun just to gather and to do something different. I just feel like we should. Uh, last thing is, um, I think it's the last thing. We, uh, we have voter registration sign-up things back there. I don't really know what I'm, what? Oh, you just looked at me like, don't say that. I don't, I can't hear you. Anyways, if you go back there, there's voter registration, I guess. I'm not sure. I don't know what I'm talking about. Go back there and look and read that paper right there and you'll know exactly. If you're not registered to vote, get registered to vote because November 3rd is important as American as long as at the end of the day you still know who's seated on the throne no matter which person gets elected. But as Americans, go up and vote. Do your part. That's great. That's awesome. And so we're providing that for you. 
Let's get back to some of the more important stuff and let's talk about the kingdom of Yahweh. Psalm 16, 8. I don't know if you've ever heard this before. It's going to be, it's going to light you up. It's, it's Psalm 16, 8 in New King James Version is what I'm reading out of. I, I can't even make the joke because I, last week after I made that whole joke and said everything, someone informed me that I, in Matthew, said the wrong chapter after I was all bold and was like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to say something about whatever. I, th- I, thought I, I thought I was funny and then I went and messed up again. So give me the grace if, I'm, if I say the wrong chapter and you can yell out the right chapter. Please do that for me. So Psalm 16.8, we've been so stuck in this, uh, this, this awesome revelation of face-to-face. It's not a song. It's not, a, uh, it's not just a, a, an experience, whatever, that we've read. That we, Everybody talks about the face-to-face, but what is face-to-face? And I believe the revelation he's given us is it's setting the Lord before you. That it's setting him before you, making up your mind. Psalm 16.8 says this, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. I have set the Lord always before me. The thing about setting the Lord before you is also that this is a process. I've, I've learned that this is a process of setting the Lord before you. And in this process, you have got to be willing to take those steps of grace that are given. I, I, I think that when we talk about presence and we talk about face-to-face, a lot of times we think of that in the midst of a great song that's played or something we hear. And of course his presence is in that, but, but his presence is within us. First Corinthians tells us that, don't you know that you are his temple and that the spirit of the Lord lives within you? And so there's moments where th- those things, there might be an atmosphere that creates something that makes you more aware of the presence within you. But the presence of Yahweh is within you. Yeshua is the hope that's within you. And so it doesn't matter if you're at the Piggly Wiggly or you're walking down the street or you're in a building like this, that the presence of Yahweh is there. And I think that we need to not underestimate the potency of that presence. When we, when we receive the presence of Yahweh, when we receive salvation and we step in and we're baptized into the spirit, there might be some things that need to be scraped off, which I've talked about that I believe is happening to create awareness, but, but it's there. And when that thing starts to rise up within you, and you talked beautifully about this already, Robert, but there, there, this thing starts to rise up within you and things shift, Period. Understand that you cannot be in the presence. You cannot be face-to-face with Yahweh and believe that it's just going to be an experience. It's not just an experience. You might experience Yahweh, but if you're truly walking through the process of deciding to set the Lord before you, forever before you, that I'm going to set him before me, and the only lens I'm looking through is that the Lord is before me, not behind me, not beside me, but before me, that perspective is going to start to shift things. And I believe there's uh, three areas really that, that this shifts. But I want, um, I want, why can't, what's going on, dude? What's, you got a new name apparently. 
You're Jeffrey. I don't know why I can't think of Jeffrey's name. I, I missed it earlier. Um, yeah. I, uh, I, I have said this plenty of times, but I believe my call up here is not to give the revelation of everything and everybody just chew on some revelation. It's to provide marrow for us to, be, to t- get a taste of something wild and then to become seekers. And so whenever I read Psalm 16, 8, if you just take it and like, oh yes, I set the Lord before me, that is great. And I'm gonna meditate on the Lord, hallelujah. And you don't actually go seek it out yourselves. You're missing something. He might wanna speak through you. So uh, this, this, this part that says, it says, so let me get to it. It says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Now in nine, I read through it and I just said, I read it kind of quick. I said, therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices, which is just kind of a cool concept, but I had no idea what it means. I just read through it. And so at Call the Wild meeting the other week, uh, Jeffrey brought, brought this, so I wanted him to share it. So uh, I was reading that and I was like, my glory? Well, what is my glory? You know, so I was like thinking about it and uh, I, I went and looked up and it talks about, uh, it's not the kabod, which is the abiding presence of God, but the kabed, which is actually the heart or the bowels of a man. And where does the expression of our glory rejoicing, it comes from the tongue. So it actually means you're either the deep in you or your tongue. That can be your glory. And so I was thinking about that, and uh, I don't know if you've ever stubbed your toe in the middle of the night, but did some glory come out of your mouth or, or, or did something else, you know, come, come yeah, okay, we're all human. Right? Apo- we're, Apostle, we're all, we're Apostle Damien even says, there's only some words that'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I was thinking and, you know, I, I've been really trying to uh, shape my language to be glorious, you know, and uh, so I was thinking about it in the, in the fact of like, what is, can I call my tongue my glory? That was, that was the question I had. And, it, and, and then it's like, can I call my eyes my glory? Which is what Mark was talking about when he talked about the senses. He said that every sense of who we are is made to glorify Yahweh. So can I call my eyes my glory? Is what I'm beholding glorious? Is what I'm hearing glorious? Because whatever I'm planted in, that's what's going to come forth. So plant yourself in glory so that when you rejoice, only glory comes forth out of your tongue. And when you see, you see as he sees. And when you hear, you hear the voice of Yahweh and you hear it clearly, even in the whisper. So that was uh, the revelation that I had of the glory. And then uh, I just love Acts chapter two, where Peter quotes this. And I don't know if you've went and read it yet when we talked about it, but uh, when he quotes what David said, he says, David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, face to face. This is Peter's interpretation of Psalm 16, 8. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope. So I just want to bring that to it. I hope that encourages you as well that Like plant yourself in that river of Yeshua, in that beloved identity, so that whenever you do have that, you're planted in glory.
so good. That it reminds me of him talking about this. If we, we, we've spent time before talking about the power of our tongue. And our tongue is the power of death and life, the Bible tells us. And, and actually, Apostle Paul used to talk about when he, when he speaks a word, it could, he, he could speak it now, but it could be in China tomorrow. You know, and, and he, he talked about that. And, and I was like, yeah, that's a great thought. By the Spirit, amen. Um, but I was reminded the other night, I was sharing this that I had spoken before. And there's, there's, this, there's this guy who's an astrophysicist for Fortune 500 companies, including Google. He's one of the lead developers for Google X. Um, played significant roles in the establishment of Yahoo Search and Microsoft Outlook. Basically, this guy, he's smart. Okay, that's what you need to know. Um, his name's Tom Chi, and this is, this, is one of, this is something he quoted. It said, A thing that unites almost every spiritual path that huma- humanity has ever pursued is this idea that everything is connected. It's this powerful idea that is central to so many of these systems of belief. I'm here to tell you this idea actually is true. Effectively, we are a continuous flame of inner becoming. In a given day, you basically bring in a little more than a kilogram of solid material. Two and a half kilograms of water between what you drink and the water in your food. And you actually also interchange almost a kilogram of air. So what what this actually means is that 7% of your body exchanges out in a single day. That means 7% of you yesterday is not here anymore. The stuff that you are right now, tomorrow, 7% of that is going to be gone. To give you a sense of what 7% of the body is, it's roughly the mass of your arm. It means that over the course of two weeks, you actually exchange out the equivalent to the entire body mass of your body. You think that you are you, but really, from two weeks ago, you kind of aren't. And definitely from a year ago, you are not. We are constantly in this state of inner becoming. And what are we inner becoming with? The earth. Based on wind patterns of the earth, air reaches the other side of the planet in just four to five days. What this actually means is that the breath that you're taking right now, part of that was literally on the other side of the planet four or five days ago. It also means that the stuff that you're exhaling right now four or five days ago or four or five days from now could, be, uh, could become a flower in Germany or the Sudan. This is not theoretical. This is literally exactly what's happening. Part of you today was these plants a couple of days ago. Part of you tomorrow is going to be them, both locally just around you in the next couple of minutes and within the next couple of days, literally everywhere on the planet. And so the reason it's so powerful to speak words of life in your situation instead of dwelling on the darkness and all the bad things and just you, all you're doing is adding to the darkness. But if, you're, if your tongue becomes your glory, if, if that's what you're set, if you're setting the Lord before you and you're speaking joy into the land and you're speaking over these down trees and not going, oh, God, this, I mean, yeah, Panama City, Bay County is ugly still. No, it's beautiful might not look exactly what you want it to look. Start speaking prophetically. Start speaking what Yahweh sees. He sees goodness. You should see goodness. So there's setting the Lord before you. Therefore, my heart is glad because my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol. Cue the next person. 
nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. So, y'all all know, I'm a word person. Holy Spirit deals with me in words. He just always has. So, he read this the other night. I'm like, what is Sheol? So I looked it up, and Sheol means darkness. Some places it's translated as Hades, as hell. But basically it's saying, Yahweh's going to, he may allow you to walk through something, but he's not going to leave you there. He's going to pull you out of that darkness. He's going to pull you out of that hell. He's going to give you grace to go through it, but he's not going to leave you there. He's going to give you a testimony coming out of that. I just remember a couple years ago, Cheryl was talking about, um, she was talking with Elizabeth. And I don't even remember what the context was. I just remember you saying that Elizabeth asked you, well, mom, did you think just because you were a Christian, nothing bad was ever going to happen? And you're like, well, yeah, I guess I kind of did. And I think we all kind of have that perspective of, well, I'm Yahweh's child, so nothing can touch me. But he gives us grace to go through it. And then he pulls us out of it. And my prayer is for me, well, and for all of us, really, not that anybody sees bitterness in us for the things that we've walked through, but we, people see the testimony of Yahweh in us and what he's pulled us out of. That's right. Amen. Amen. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. The fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Cue the next person, Eva. I'm just kidding. I'm just messing. But, but again, right hand, right hand. Setting the Lord before you is not setting him before you, but he's, it's, it's face to face. If, I'm, if it, he's at my right hand and I'm at his right hand, this is the only way to be face to face with the Father. And so um, I, I believe that there's three areas. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speed this up a little bit. We always have next week. No, we don't. We have a cookout. But <laughs> I'm going I'm to try not to be too long here. But, but the first way is, is absolutely one of the most simple foundational things that we've just been talking about most of this morning. But it started out in this journey when, he, when we set the Lord before us. There's, there's one thing you have to get. If you don't have this, the rest of these roaring 20s or whatever day you're walking in will not make sense. You always fight against, against this true revelation, and that is Yahweh is good. It's, it's simple, but he's good. Yahweh is goodness. He's not just good, he is goodness. Every good gift came from him. He, he works things together for our good and he didn't send the storm or the cancer, but what the enemy meant for evil, Yahweh can take and turn it for good. So before you start to stress out, just set the Lord before you and let him have opportunity to step into the impossible, which is where he dwells anyway, because impossible is not impossible. There's a difference in what we see in the earthly realm and the heavenly realm, what they are receiving. And we're called to be vessels and portals to bring heaven to earth. So the quickest way to shut off your portal is to just freak out <laughs> and to immediately look for the judgment of Yahweh. What, what was the judgment? Well, he has a whole book called Judges. And in Judges, he picks the most unlikely, unequipped, 
unqualified person and sets them high to defeat wickedness. He, it's, he's the God of the impossible. He's not this man with a, with a, uh, with a gavel and a robe. This is what Apostle Damon has, has changed so much in so many of us is this revelation of Abba. And I'm going to tell you something. Let me, I want to challenge you with something this week that I've, I've started challenging myself with. If you remember the first time we talked about the Abba revelation, I had the worship team. They, they think this story will never go away and it won't, but it's okay. But I had this song that spoke to me in Nashville and it was called Daddy, I Love You. And when I heard it, I thought it was a Father's Day song. And it was on this like, Website. It was on YouTube or something, and I thought I was like playing Christian songs, and it was just said, Daddy, I love you. And I was like, What are they like? What, what happened? Is this an ad or what? But it was so, such this just beautiful song of Daddy, I love you. And so I, I brought this to the, to the worship team. I said, Man, I, it's just, it gets me. I just think we need to sing Daddy, I love you. Well, all we have sang and all we speak here is Yahweh. Because there is a revelation of Yahweh, which is a great, amazing revelation. But we speak the name of Yahweh. So they started off, Yahweh, I love you. Yahweh, I love you. And I think the next line is, there's no greater name that I've ever found or something like that. And it's, but we, so we sang Yahweh because that's revelation. But I, 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 in that time, something rose up in me and I said, guys, no, it's not Yahweh. I, you need to sing, Daddy, I love you. And if you want to challenge yourself, because we're always looking to shift and mold, can you dare to believe that there is a revelation deeper than Yahweh? I think that Yahweh is, is so knowledge-based. He is sovereign and he is powerful and he's mighty and it's awesome. But you don't find Jesus speaking about Yahweh. You, you hear him speaking about Abba. And if we are sons we have to be able to use the name Abba, Father, which is something that is actually translated into Papa God, Papa, Daddy. If you're really Southern, it turns in, there's like an I in there somewhere. I haven't figured it out. It's like Diddy. I don't even know how you say that. But whatever is the most intimate way that you know a a fatherly name, I challenge you, just do one week. One week, every time you go to say Yahweh, I want you to replace it with Abba or Diddy or whatever you want to say. <laughs> replace, replace it. And if you talk about Yahweh, use the name Abba. I can't tell you how stirred as a father I am. To, uh, the other day, just literally the other day, I, I dread the day when my kids stop calling me daddy. I really do. There's something about just that innocent Child, I give it all to you, name of daddy. And if you're in the South, you might never change the name daddy. No matter if you're 45 or 12, it's going to be daddy. But, but daddy, and I, Frank, I, I found myself, I was sitting on the couch and I heard Frank in the other room. He was calling for his mom and he said, mommy, mommy. And she didn't answer. And I was like, and I just, all of a sudden, something rose up in me. And I was like, say, just say, I want to hear you say daddy. Say Daddy. And all of a sudden I heard, daddy? And I was like, yes, son, yes. Yeah. And it sounds like kind of a funny story, but I, I truly believe that it's how Yahweh sees us today, this tribe. It's like, let me hear it. Call, call on my name. I know, I know, no, 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 not, not Yahweh. I got you. You know, you know my name's Yahweh. Say daddy. 
to show me that we have a father-son intimate face-to-face, I'm set before you, you're set before me kind of relationship. And that's the lens how you see me, not just my sovereignty, but in a deeper revelation. Like genuinely, Yahweh is an amazing revelation, but we're always called to go from faith to faith, revelation to revelation, glory to glory. And I'm telling you the next step in that is Abba. When you start having that so convinced of his fatherhood in your life and your sonship in his life, I believe it's stirring something within him. You gain access to something you didn't have when you just said Yahweh. Doesn't mean that Yahweh's bad. Doesn't mean that God was bad. It just means that there's another step. And that next step that to challenge yourself is to call him Abba. Call him Papa. Call him Daddy. And see what starts to shift in your life. So the first thing that starts to shift when you're setting the Lord before you, and again, it's a process, but is that your view on him is going to change. You step closer and closer and every day you're making the decision. Remember how to set the Lord before you in a practical sense is when you wake up in the morning, set the Lord before you. When you go to sleep at night, set the Lord before you because we were designed to meditate on things. And uh, Psalms 1 tells us to meditate on the law of the Lord, right? It says to meditate on it day and night. But you don't have to do much. You don't have to get a pillow and sit down and hum. It, it, it's just who you are. We're designed to meditate. Put anxiety before you, guess what? You will meditate on that day and night and night and day. Put, put a situation before you. Man, that was, I like that. Come on, give me some power. Put, put, the, put, put anxiety before, put your, put your problem before you, put your situation before you and you will, we all do meditate day and night because we were wired to meditate day and night. It's just, what are you putting before you? I set the Lord before me. If I set the Lord before me, why am I not shaken? Why am I not double-minded? Because I've made a decision and now I steward over that decision through meditation and I don't even have to do anything. He's just there constantly in my view, in my lens. Yahweh is good. I set him before me. This is my decision. This is my Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael decision, Daniel, that I have set the Lord before me. And even if he doesn't show up the way I think he should, I'm still not bowing this knee. This knee does not touch that ground because I'm convinced of his goodness and whatever happens is good. There's no more powerful way to live than to live, live your life through the lens of Abba and sonship. Two, and I think is, it actually should probably be three, but we're going with two because this is how we, we, we spoke about it, but is our neighbor is people. And this is one of those things that we kick out. Like, I know, I got it. (laughs) We love our neighbor. I got you. I get it. Yep. Pray for it. I got you. I get it. I don't want you to get it. I want you to do it. We have got to step into a place where we are convinced so much of if I'm a son and, 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 and the words coming out of my mouth is my glory and his glory. If that, if that be true, then what is it that shows me as a son? Matthew, I said last week, six, it's Matthew 5, 43. And I'm reading out of the Passion Translation, giving opportunity for anybody to correct me. Matthew 5, 43 says this. Love, uh, your ancestors have always been taught, love your neighbors and hate the one who hates you. However, I say to you, love your enemy. 
Bless the one who curses you. Do something wonderful for the one who hates you and respond to the very ones who persecute you by praying for them. For that will reveal your identity as children of your heavenly father. Stop looking for all the different things and words you can say and walks you can walk. If you can't pray for your enemies, then you've missed your revelation of sonship. For that will reveal your identity as children of your heavenly father. He is kind to all bringing the sunrise to warm and rainfall to refresh whether a person does what is good or evil. What reward do you deserve if you only love the lovable? Don't even the tax collectors do that? How are you any different from others if you limit your kindness only to your friends? Don't even the ungodly do that? Since you are children of a perfect father in heaven, you are to be perfect like him. And perfect is not perfect in the way that we see it in American culture. Perfect means complete. Complete in him. That you are incomplete without him, but with him you are complete. Complete together. And I, and I, and I think that you, you, if you bring it into context of today, it's so much easier. Right now, there's so many people out there, and rightfully so, praying for the new Supreme Court justice nominee because they believe that she can bring justice to situations like abortion. And so you have Christians raising up and saying, let's pray for this, this new nominee. Let's make sure she gets set in the place. And we see this, this overwhelming just move for this thing. And, and, but to be honest with you, that's an easy and necessary thing to pray for. But what we also in the same breath need to be praying for, not just the right people to be placed in the right position, but that hearts start to change because there's a lot of things that we pray for that we have not prepared our heart to receive the breakthrough, even if it came. So we can pray for abortion, but we need to, ra- we need to also simultaneously be praying for the spirit of adoption to raise up in kingdom sons and daughters who will step into place and say that since you are not going to be killed, which you should not be killed, I'm going to step into the place of saying, I'll be your dad. I'll be your mom. If they're not going to step up, I'm going to step up. That's where Christians and kingdom sons and daughters should be praying into. Because if you're not in that place, if you're not willing to do that, which is a hard thing to think about, for a lot of us, don't pray that prayer. Also, pray that the spirit of these moms and dads start to come up and they start to take responsibility for their actions and start to step up, not just because, well, I have to, but because there's a spirit that rises up in, inside of them. They realize I've been given something that is, is greater than me, that I need to be a mommy, I need to be a daddy to this precious life. But we start to pray. You got so many people that'll pray. This would be a, a Henry and Caroline thing right here. You, people pray for millions and they want to, they Yahweh, give me just the increase. Let me be a financier of the kingdom. Hear that all the time. Let me be a financier of the kingdom. I promise if you give me all this money, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take it and I'm going to use it for good. You'll be so impressed. And he's going to be like, well, what did you do with the $20,000 a year? Were you a financier of the kingdom then? Or what about the six fifty an hour job? If you want to be a financier of the kingdom, make sure that you have the infrastructure within your heart to handle it. Because if you don't, you'll squander it and it will be not his glory or your glory, it'll be your demise. And it will not speak well of the kingdom. 
If you want to have millions and you didn't go to Henry and Caroline's class, I question if you're wanting the infrastructure to handle that. There are things set in our lives that prepare us and and give us a moment. So instead of praying for the millions, pray for the infrastructure of your heart. Pray for the wisdom it would take to manage that money so that if you can first be a good steward over that money, then you can use it for the glory of the kingdom. But don't kid yourself believing that if I've got more, I'll be able to do more. No, take what you've got, steward over what you've got, and then start to do amazing things. You'll start to see that increase start to come. Stewardship. It's the same thing that you can, you can take that with money and start taking it with setting the Lord before you. It might be a simple thing of practicing saying Abba in the morning, praying to Abba, putting the Lord before you, setting your mind and making your mind up. It might be as simple as that, but watch you steward over that. Watch you every time something gets anxious, something gets uh, uh, stressful, that you set the Lord before you in your situation and watch what he can do with that. It's about the tithe. Like people don't, people don't understand tithe and offer. Are you giving? If you're not giving, it's not gonna be given unto you. Start, start foundationally with, I'm gonna bring my first and my best, my 10%. I love the people that can't tithe, but always have a revelation beyond tithing. You know, they can't tithe, but they have revelation about how they're, well, I'm supposed to do this with my money and stuff like that. Well, can you just give 10% to the tribe that you've been joined to? And I know I'm preaching to the choir because we're all so good at this, but at the same time, don't let it become just child's talk. Like this is something we've got to, something we got to pass on to the next generation or we'll have great buildings with no, nothing to, to maintain and to continue this thing, to continue an atmosphere of transformation in this place. We've got to be good stewards over the things we have. And sometimes it just starts with the step down the road. And so when we, when we come into this place of saying we want to set the Lord before us and we want to not be double-minded and we want our glory to rejoice and we want to be full of joy, well, let's start before all of this big revelation, let's start with just, Abba, I want to set you before me this week. Abba, when I'm going to bed tonight and I'm stressed, I, visit me in the night. That, that's what this, this scripture actually says right before uh, It says, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. In the very night, meditate on him day and night. All in. The the, the scripture that we we all talk about as far as love your neighbors, that, that... That's such a powerful story, it's ridiculous. We talk about it a lot, we say this a lot, but think about how cool this scripture is. When he, the story is whenever this teacher of the law comes to Yeshua and he's trying to show him up and he says, he tries to challenge him with the question of what's the greatest commandment? Give me the single most impactful greatest commandment. Go ahead, show us what we should do. And he says this, he starts, he says, love your God with everything within you. And you know that they're sitting there going, this guy, listen, Judas could have told us that. That's, that's nothing. Like, yeah, love your God. We know that's what we're supposed to love God or whatever. And he stops and he says, also love your neighbor as you love yourself. And what he's saying is that you can't have one without the other. It's impossible to love God and hate your neighbor. 
It's impossible to sit here and call him Abba. It's impossible to set the Lord before you and look through the lens of goodness and see anything but goodness. It's impossible to seize other people other than how he, contrary to how he sees them. So he says, love your God. But then I think what you could add there is, and then expect to love your neighbor like you love yourself. Most of the time you see people uh, speaking against everyone else and just all this venom coming out is because they haven't learned to love themselves either, right? So it's this cyclical thing. This is why I said this should probably be number, th- number three. But first you're gonna learn to see Yahweh. Then you're gonna learn to see yourself and your beloved identity from that position. There should not, if you're truly beloved, if you're truly who you're called to be, then you know you're anointed to bring good news to the downly, downward, brokenhearted people. That, that would be your goal. That would be your opportunity. You'd be looking for divine appointments, which is a, a, a fancy spiritual way to say looking for opportunity to show his goodness. There's the scripture of the, good, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well that we've spoken about. And I love how the, the beginning of that scripture talks about Yeshua going into this, this area. It says he had to go through wherever that area was. I can't remember the name right now. He had to go through. What is it? Samaria. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Let's just say it's Samaria. So he had to go through Samaria. And the words are actually he had to. But the word is day which actually means to be divinely necessary. It means that Yeshua had to because he's a man led by the spirit of God. He had to go this route and we need to start to lift our heads up and looking for opportunities to show the goodness of Yahweh to all of those around us instead of spewing venom and finding everything we can to sling a sword at. Amen? Am I losing you? Is it too long now? Uh, No one said anything, so that's (laughs) means I'm really on on a thing here. So so what I said should be two, and three should be two, and two should be three. That's because this is this is one of the biggest things I feel I felt this this morning, and that's why I'm just gonna continue push through and and get to this. I I believe this is important for today and I'll be very brief in this. But I think one of the hardest things to do as we start to set the Lord before us and the process of setting the Lord before us is when it starts to, you start to do that thing that sounds really, really cool when you, you get close enough to see yourself in his eyes, in the light of his eyes. That's how close it's talking about. That's the apple of his eye and he starts to show you things about yourself that you might not be ready to receive. See, setting, the reason it's a process is is it's a continual yes. It's a continual yes. I set the Lord before me because what happens in the light of his eyes is darkness starts to be revealed. There's a great revelation of, it doesn't mean that it's it's this this awful bad thing, but things start to be exposed. It's, I've I've lately, as we've been talking about setting the Lord before you, I, I can't tell you how many different people I've started to talk to where they don't mean to even say expose some things, but they're getting exposed. You don't mean to have these things come out and to bring them out into the light, but that's what starts to happen. And the closer you get to light, the more exposure that starts to happen in your own life. And you, and, and you, and you have to remove, there's something that cannot exist in the face-to-face contact with Yahweh, and it's called the mask. 
I've said that I believe that there's, uh, there's, there's been this thing that's swept our nation. It's a disease and it's not coronavirus, but it's, it's the spirit, it's the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod, the political and the religious system. That's the, the leaven that's permeated into the, the, the fiber of the American and really the global being of who we are. And it was something Yeshua said, told his disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. And, and if you go back to think about what the leaven of the Pharisees is, he talks about it earlier in Luke when he says, remember that the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is not just doing something one way or saying one thing and doing the other, which is what we might know it as. It actually comes from a Greek word, Hippocrates, which is actually not a negative word. It's a word that refers to the exchanging of a mask, an actress or an actor who is meant to play multiple roles and they exchange masks in each in plays. So Hippocrates would be someone is what he's talking about. He's saying that basically the only way I can describe to you what the leaven of this fake system is, is that you've learned to take a mask and put it on in certain situations to be who you need to be in that situation, in that play. And, and we, we, we talk about the Pharisees and we talk about the false prophets and we act like that's, you know, that's these religious leaders that are just trying to get all this money and fame and be this person and there's your Pharisees. And then the false prophets would be these, these people that are, that, are just, that are just, you know, coming out here speaking stuff, but they're not living the right life and they're just these horrible whatever people. We, we put them in these, these categories and we say that's, that's them and we speak against them without turning that light towards us and it's what starts to happen. Am I a hypocrite? Is there Hippocrates in my life? And I think a lot of us, I think a lot of us could say yes to that. You might not want to, but it's what's going to start to be revealed and not, you won't be able to wear it anymore. The, the false prophet, it says, how do you discern between the, the false prophets? Because it says that the true ones will confess that he is Jesus, that Jesus is Lord. They will confess. The word confess is homologio. It doesn't mean just to say, yeah, he's Jesus. Because we get a lot of people that do that. It actually means to manifest it actually means to say the same thing as. It's, it would be the best depiction in the Bible of homologio would be Yeshua saying, I do nothing I don't see my father do. Then I only say what I hear my father say. And so if, if we're not saying what we hear the father say, if we're not doing what we hear the father, see the father do, then, then we can actually fall into the false prophet category. And if we're very good at coming into this place and saying, I'm going to wear the mask of I'm the good churchgoer, I'm faithful, I'm here, I'm bringing my tithe. Those are all great places to start and not a good place to end. And you have to come to the place where this isn't a mask. And so you come into a church and you're, this, is, this is one way you go to your work and the Lord's behind me. And I go to a situation where things get hard and the Lord is back before me. And I'm going to pray into the situation. We've become hypocrites, Hippocrates. Why is it so important? I'm skipping so much, but I'm going to today. I'm going to skip it and we'll come back to it. Why is it so important? Romans 8, 18. This is the Passion Translation. Giving room for people to correct me. <laughs> Checking myself. Romans eight eighteen. This isn't negative. We, the, stepping into the, into the I, I've, I have, I wore the mask. And every once in a while, 
I feel the need to pull it back. To be something that someone else needs me to be other than who he's called me to be. Because typically when you're face to face with the father and you start to see him yourself as he sees you, it doesn't look like what you thought it should look like. It didn't for me. And I believe that most of the times you start to hear different things, you start to see different things, and we call ourselves people of faith. But what faith looks like is a, a, a little boat, little tiny wooden boat, sitting on the side of a comfortable shore with one sail and no paddle and no rudder, looking into a great abyss of unknown. Faith always precedes understanding. The Bible tells us it's by faith that we understand. And we have to come into a place where we fully trust him enough in all of our ways we acknowledge him. We fully trust the Lord and acknowledge him in everything that we do. We're willing to step into a little boat and go off into nothing and trust him that in his goodness. In every situation that we do. So this is why. Why is it so important? I am convinced, this is 8.18, Romans 8.18 in the Passion Translation. I am convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of the glory that is about to be unveiled within us. I always do this today. I like to throw today in there. So we stop putting this back in the past when the scripture was written and start seeing it for today. I'm convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing to be compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled within us today. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. For against its will, the universe itself has had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequences of human sin. But now... But today, with eager expectation, all creation longs for freedom from its slavery to decay and to experience with us the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. To this day, we are aware of the universal agony and groaning of creation as if it were in the contractions of labor for childbirth. And it's not just creation. So we've got creation groaning for the revelation. The the revealing of the sons and daughters is what other things. So light reveals. This is a positive. That as we step closer to him, anything that's dark, anything that's fake cannot exist. And this is what's happening as we step closer and we're setting him before us. We're starting to be revealed. And and, and I believe that today this is what the, the earth creation is groaning. And it's not just creation. We who also already experience the first fruits of the Spirit also inwardly groan as we passionately long to experience our full status as God's sons and daughters, including our physical bodies being transformed. For this is the hope of our salvation today. Not when we die. I believe that physically we're going to start to manifest the glory of Yahweh. That might be too deep. And too weird, but I I think physically we're going to start to manifest to a degree that we're actually light in the darkness. That more than seeing, being able to talk about darkness, we're able to just manifest the light. This would be homologio. This would be the true, the true confession that Yeshua is the Lord of my life, that I have set him before me. Including our physical bodies being transformed, but hope means that we must trust and wait for what is still unseen. For why would we need to hope for something we already have? 
So because our hope is set on what is yet to be seen, we patiently keep on waiting for its fulfillment. In a similar way, the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human fertility, for, uh, frailty to empower us in our weakness. For example, at times we don't even know how to pray or know the best things to ask for, but the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf, pleading to God with emotional sides, sighs too deep for words. So we've got creation on tiptoe, seeing that this is what's coming. There's a revelation, there's a revolution, there's a renewal starting to take place. I'm starting to see sons and daughters being revealed because they've decided to take a step of setting the Lord before them. And finally seeing him as Abba. There's this revelation starting to take place. So we've got creation, and then it says that Holy Spirit is, it's working with our spirit. So we've got, we're spirit, soul, and body. We have a spirit, but there's also Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, who's interceding super, I love how it says, super interceding on our behalf to a God who is already Abba and is already convinced all he's going to do is good for you. So when you're not setting the Lord before you and everything seems anxious and everything seems out of out of sequence, out of, something seems wrong, it's because you're working against the trinity of God who is interceding on your behalf. To save time, I won't go to it. But at the end of this, it says that Yeshua himself is continually in prayer on our behalf. It's not about us having a good situation if we can set the Lord before us. So that's something that is a consequence of it. Here's the other thing is that I believe setting the Lord before you, there's not all these things you have to do except make your mind up and to put that before you. Everything else that is talked about is a consequence of having the Lord in front of you. The revelation, the light coming in, exposing some things, removal of the mask. Your revelation of him as Abba, you can't look in those eyes and it not be in the way you see others. All of that is a consequence of setting the Lord before you. Amen? Let's stand. Yahweh, we, we lift our hands in your presence and I, uh, I just ask that you take this word and put it deep in the hearts of us, in the bowels of who we are, in our innermost being, our lab, our hearts, start to shift the way we respond to people, start to shift the way that we see you and please start to shift the way that we see ourselves, to see ourselves with the authority and the goodness that we walk in. Let it be unto your glory, Yahweh. Let us bring the knowledge of the glory of you unto this earth and into this time, Yahweh. Help us to intercede for those that oppose us or that we don't understand. Help us to reveal ourselves as sons and daughters by having a heart to intercede for those and not just cut people down. Yahweh, give us the infrastructure to handle what is to come, the goodness and the glory that's to come. Let us change our hearts and our minds to be able to handle everything that is coming in your goodness in these days, Yahweh. We stand in the days of awe and we rejoice and we say thank you that we were born for such a time as this that you designed every bit of me, every quirk I have, every thought that I have. You, you have designed me to operate the way that I operate and I'm perfect with you, Yahweh. I'm perfect with you, Abba. See how hard that is? Abba, we love you, Daddy. We love you. 
as we give today, Yahweh, as we, as we prepare our hearts to give our first and our best, let it be an impetus for our infrastructure to handle this people, handle the wealth of the wicked coming into the hands of the righteous. Let them become the righteous that receive the influx of your glory, shaken together, pressed down, full and rov- running over, Yahweh. Let us be blessed when we come in and blessed when we go out, Yahweh. We love you, Abba, and we thank you for this time. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on The Rock of Bay County, please go to therockofbc.org.